Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hey, everybody. This is We Gotta Talk with Sunny. Real talk, big topics. That is the name of the game. I'm so glad you joined me. It's been a while. It's been a while, while. Um, we let out from school. We're into full swing of summer activities. I've convinced my partially agoraphobic children to partake in some camps this summer, which is huge, huge. It doesn't happen around here. I know a lot of kids who are like, oh, I can't wait. Art camp, you know, sports camps. It takes pretty much an act of Congress <laughs> to convince my kids to convince my kids to participate in activities. They're not antisocial in any way. They're really outgoing. They're just not keen on new environments. So it's a whole thing. Um, we, we're, we're doing camps, though, which is huge. It's huge around here. So currently one out of three is in camp. We're going to flip it around next week, send another one. <laughs> it's great. Um, anyhow, it's been a really fun fun past couple of months. Um, last episode, I brought you guys up to speed on our trip to Italy, which was, oh, it was just life-changing. I can't say enough about it. It was actually a month ago today where we, um, when we left and I am, I, it feels like I've lived about 55 years <laughs> since I've gotten back. <laughs> Worked a fun freelance job. I put my hosting hat back on. If you follow on Instagram, um, you probably saw a couple of posts. I got to host the, um, a, a travel show in Orlando and I did talk in front of 4,600 people. Uh, it was more t very terrifying. Um, when you work in TV news, this is, everyone's like, oh, you know, you, you got to be comfortable. You worked in broadcast journalism for 15 years. Uh, I talked to a robot. <laughs> I talked to, you know, in the presence of maybe two people, a weatherman and a stage manager, and my 103 and a co-anchor. Everything else, all machines. So when I get into a room and there are actual live human bodies in there watching me speak, it's just a whole nother level. But anyway, it was actually really fun. Super, super cool to be in like just the hosting space. It's really different from, from TV news. Um, and the really cool part about this show is that they brought in incredible entertainment. So I hosted this like the lunchtime portion of this conference. I'll make this quick, I promise. But um the first day, Third Eye Blind was the was the lunchtime entertainment. And anyone who knows Andrew, my husband, knows that he is, like, weirdly their biggest fan. I'm not saying it's weird because they're not good. They're good. They're great. Like, 90s nostalgia all the way. But <laughs> I just remember when I first met him, I was like, yeah, like, what kind of music do you like? He's like, Third Eye Blind is just, like, my favorite band. I was like, record scratch. <laughs> what? Um, no, they're good. They're great. And it was really fun to see them in person. It was like a small concert and you got to pretty much go up right to the stage. The band was lovely. Um, had a fun little interaction with Stephen Jenkins backstage. I walked past him and you know, at these things, it's very, very, I mean, it's, 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 a smaller time venue for sure. You know, it's not like Madison Square Garden, but these people still have security and they have, you know, as as they need, and they have sort of guards and barriers, you know, set into place so that not any random person, even backstage at something like this, could go up and talk to them. So I didn't even try to like get close or talk and get an autograph for Andrew, even though I wanted to. I did sneak Andrew in, by the way, in a very, <laughs> very, in a low moment for my career. I asked, um, 
the woman who hired me for this job if we could have a pass for Andrew to come in and watch the concert. Was it my proudest moment? Maybe not. But I did it and she was gracious and kind and she threw me an extra pass and he was able to walk in during the performance and catch it, which was great. Anyhow, um, oh, and he almost got kicked out by security too <laughs> for filming. Like video of the video monitor at the show, which is really strange. Totally got shaken down. This guy walks up to him and he's like, there's no video and photos allowed here, sir. And he's like, no problem. I'll delete it. He's like, I'm going to need you to open your phone. I'm going to need you to open up your deleted folder. And I'm going to need to watch you delete that video file from your deleted folder. And Andrew was like, okay, waving the white flag. I'll delete the video. It was very, it was intense. Anyhow, long story short, Stephen Jenkins was actually quite kind. I walked past him at the end of the show backstage and I had my like three bags Hung, hanging over my shoulders as I'm dragging out, um, getting ready to head out after hosting. And I was like, hey, great show. And he was like, hey, Sonny, thanks for sticking around. I was like, oh my gosh, he said my name. Um, but anyhow, it was really fun, really cool for any Third Eye, Bly, uh, Third Eye Blind fans. They're actually touring this summer. So yeah, I found that out during the show if you want to check them out. Um, saw some Broadway stars the next day. Incredible talent. You know, you think that when, when you see these shows, you feel like the production value somehow, you know, makes it better or enhances it. The truth is, these people um, who are just incredible are actually just as stunningly talented practicing in their sweatpants as they are for the actual shows on Broadway. It was such a cool thing to see them do these run-throughs on the stage and um, the dress rehearsals and the regular rehearsals and, like, they're insanely talented. So it was really cool. Long story short, I've been working this week um, and um, I'm back at the podcast now, which has been really, really fun. All right. So we're reissuing an episode that I, I feel like is timely. So this is an interview I did last summer and I think it's timely because the conversation around this has just exploded lately. NFTs. You see the word everywhere. Snoop is making them. Ice Cube is, you know, making NFT, whatever they're called, like products for people. It's just, it's everywhere. And I thought it would be fun to put this back out there because a lot of people are confused. We call the episode WTF as an NFT because frankly, that's how I feel about it kind of still um, until I talked to uh, Carson Woods, who is currently, she calls herself a Bitcoin baddie. She's the founder of Mint Candy Productions. She worked for Super Plastic. Uh, pretty much she's your go-to decoder for the world of crypto and NFTs and all blockchain technology and all of the things that you hear talked about constantly these days. So please enjoy this episode. This is what you're going to want to listen to if you're thinking about getting into the NFT market, if you want to know what it is, if it's worth investing in. Um, apparently, things have not been great in the NFT market lately. It's kind of taken a dive and a crash. Um, but this is something that's not going to go away. And I thought this was a great episode to resurrect because um, more people are talking about it now than ever. So we break down so, so much in this show. We talk about what NFTs are, what blockchain technology is, how it fits into the economy, and even pop culture moving forward. Because in a lot of these discussions about NFTs, you'll hear names of, like I just mentioned, you know, famous musicians or actors. So it intersects with pop culture in a really interesting way, too, because it has a creative kind of component to it. So we talked to Carson about virtual currency, Bitcoin, NFTs, why it's the way of the future, and if any of it 
is worth investing in. So please enjoy this episode. As always, drop me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you want to hear about. This summer, actually, we have some really fun episodes that we're recording. Um, They're going to start to come out probably in the next week or two. Won't be having any live shows because um, we're we're locked in for the summer. (laughs) We're locked in raw for uh, another two and a half months with three crazy children running around. So not a good time to try to fire up the live stream. I hope you enjoy this episode, though. We'll be in your ear for sure all summer. I'm going to be giving you tons of new interviews with really fun, really interesting, really smart people. And yes, DM me. Let me know what you want to hear about in the next few months uh, before the next season starts in September. Fun, fun. At Sunny Abata, S-O-N-N-I-A-B-A-T-T-A. All right, everybody. Enjoy this interview on NFTs with Carson Woods. As you heard in the intro, I have Carson Woods on today. I'm calling you an NFT expert, but I don't want to call you just that. Tell us your official title and what you're currently involved in so you can give everybody a good idea of what you do. Okay, my official title. Well, honestly, as of today, you're the first person to know this. I am the chief experience officer at an emerging digital art marketplace called 888 The New World. Um, I'm also a co-founder and partner at a crypto media incubator called Triptych. And I'm a consultant for like NFT strategy and awesomeness. And I also call myself a blockchain baddie. (laughs) Oh my God. There are so many words in there, Carson. We're going to break it down. You guys, listen, I promise in this episode, we're going to take it to 101 status because that is where I am when it comes to discussions on crypto and NFTs and what is the blockchain and all this stuff. So Carson has agreed, even though she is obviously very experienced in this area to kind of dial it down for us, because chances are these are phrases you've been hearing on podcasts or seeing on social a ton lately. And people are all curious about what this world is all about. So just tell us quickly what a chief experience officer will do, because Carson, I feel like that's sort of innately tied in with what NFTs are and what that virtual world yeah, is. Yeah, totally. So this is a new C-suite title and really I've only seen um, Adobe really adopt this, but essentially my responsibility is to kind of holds the space for the brand experience internally and externally. So um, community is is really big right now. Um, a lot of people are hiring for heads of community and there's a lot of, of conversation that's happening virtually and that's where that, that community space is. And the chief experience officer is just one step above to say that, you know, community is not this like top down approach where the brand or the company sits here and then everybody else is underneath. It's really, intended, I think, to be linear. And it means like being able to run the line between, you know, top collectors in in this case and in digital art and um, investors and companies, as well as people who are in discord and telegram chats and people who are DMing and tweeting and all of that. So much. I don't know. Okay, let's start at the very beginning. (laughs) NFTs. I do know it stands for non-fungible token. And I had to look up to confirm the definition of fungible. So let me just make this easy for everyone because everybody's throwing that. And even I was like, okay, well, what what does fungible mean? Fungible means exchangeable for something of a similar value, right? Yeah. So like $1 is like, you know, however many euros or pounds or like that's a fungible exchange. Because it's seen, although the units aren't the same, it's seen as an equal amount um, within a sort of system, right? Like a a predetermined system. Okay, so what are NFTs then? 
So, and this is such a good question. I have to say for anybody that's like, don't check out because I'll like expose myself and say, I don't know what ATM means, but I still like walk up to one and put my card in and get money out. So it's okay. Um, I think what we have to kind of talk about is that an NFT is not really a what, it's a how. So it's essentially just, you know, a, it's it's pointing to an address on the blockchain. And the blockchain is like in the most simplified terms, a, a system of computers or like a data system. Um, but the NFT points to an address of a contract and that contract backs a digital asset. So the same way if we're going to buy like a car or buy a house, we'll go to the bank or go to the dealership and we'll sign a contract and they'll store it in their system. However, they they want to you know manage their data and it shows the transfer of ownership or, you know, the intention of transfer for ownership. If you have a mortgage, an NFT is just pointing to the location of the contract for the exchange or sale of the digital good. Okay, so let's talk about what these digital goods are, too. So that was a good explanation. Blockchain, in my mind, I just see it as, I mean, it's like another version, of, like a step above the Internet. I don't know. It's like, it, it's, yeah. is, it, is it the Internet or is it just an elevated version? Is it like Web 2.0? What is that? Because I feel like for people to understand where an NFT falls, they have to understand what, that, what the blockchain is first. Well, the blockchain is a, it's a decentralized data system. So centralized and like this is kind of a key philosophy behind like crypto and the metaverse. But, you know, a centralized system means that if you go to Starbucks to buy a coffee, you're going to insert your debit card and the the Starbucks barista is going to use her system to communicate with the bank and the bank's going to say, yes, Sunny has that money. So that's a centralized like one person, one corporation or institution that confirms that where the blockchain in, in this like example that I'll explain for cryptocurrencies is if I own the coffee shop and you come to me to buy it and you're going to use a cryptocurrency, which is hosted on the blockchain, I'm going to go to, I'm going to say, okay, does Sunny have the money for this? And I'll ask your best friend, does Sunny have the money for this? I'll ask your husband, does Sunny have the money for this? I'll ask people in your network. And those are the same as the nodes on the blockchain computer system. So once everybody confirms there, I'm like, okay, you're good. Because it's not just me or you determining what the like power is and what the answer is, but it's the entire system that is decentralized. Is, is it like a, that makes a lot of sense, but what it sounds like to me is it's like a democratized market that everybody has to sign off on something having value, which to me, I guess from the cynical approach feels like a lot more work than just having one spot to check off to confirm that I have the money for my flat white blonde. Yeah. I mean, it is. Yes, exactly. It's a it's an open ledger. It's a it's a transaction. It's an open transaction ledger. And it is more work. But the benefits of it are, I think, a lot more beneficial because we all get to like kind of change the way we um, we trust and we like hold each other accountable and that we confirm these things. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's really we've kind of just accepted the fact that like we're going to put all of our money, everything that we've ever worked for, our livelihood, like our means for survival in the hands of one corporation or institution where we don't know what really the decisions are that are being made behind closed doors. Like we don't know, you know, something could happen. And, and we just trust that we log on to our little, you know, bank Wells Fargo app and it says you have the money in there. And we're like, okay, good. Go about my life. But 
you know, there's, you know, a time in your life, I think, where you're, you might say, like, is this like, do I really trust them? Like, I've worked really hard for this. I don't know what I would do without this. Like, mm-hmm. let me let me see what other ways exist in the world where I can kind of store my money and know that it's safe and protected. Okay, so this is making more sense. It, it's like I said, I keep coming back to this word, but democratized or there's more participation, there's more voices rather than, like you said, just the one bank or the one financial institution. So I think the question for a lot of people becomes, what application right now do these NFTs have? And looking forward, I guess this is a question we'll inevitably get to, but will this be the way we transact not only goods, but also services? Because it's not only introducing a a whole new concept, it's introducing a whole new way for us to interact with each other and be connected. You know, there probably are some people who are like, you know, I'm good just relying on SunTrust or whatever. But um, but so, yeah, tell us practically how it looks right now, NFTs and what they're being used for. Totally. So I think probably what people are seeing most frequently right now is that um, NFTs are are backing um, digital art. And a lot of artists who are, you know, who have relied on social media platforms and these kind of very visual um, technology or applications to sell or or promote their artwork, they're finding that they've there's been this long and, and honestly well documented history of having their work stolen. So instead of selling it, um, you know, by just po- making a post on Instagram or or putting it on your e-commerce store and somebody can really actually can right click and save, which is one of like the NFT arguments, um, you actually get to you get to mint it on the blockchain and that creates like the verification that this exists, you created it and you get to sell it. And and we will see who that ownership goes to based on their wallet address, their like blockchain wallet address. So that's the application right now. But we also just saw that, you know, TechCrunch group just sold an apartment uh, like with an NFT backing it. So that apartment, when it then resells, it'll transition ownership on the blockchain. Okay, so let's talk about that. So the first example you gave, just to rewind, because I I did as much research as I could. I listened to podcasts and spoke to friends who are familiar with this to try to get an idea. And the first example you gave of artists using this. So this is digital art. And I think what you were saying is like, you know, people steal um, these properties by screenshotting them or right clicking and saving when in reality that is to them their good or service that they need to make money off of. So what you're saying is these NFTs are ways of holding people accountable for actually purchasing that like online art or whatever it is and making it, you know, not stealing it. Although you can still technically do that if you're a bad person, I guess. But when you buy that, you own the original version of sorts and it's recorded on the blockchain. So it's almost like, I mean, it is like a regular piece of art if you're at Sotheby's or something and you're at an auction. Exactly. Definitely. Yeah. And people can, people are using it to back physical art pieces as well, which is really interesting too. When you say back, what do you mean by that? Like they're using it to back an apartment or art. Yeah. Like I guess that's kind of, I'm, I'm kind of dumbing it down, but really it's just like, 
confirming like the sale or confirming the ownership. Just like, you know, if you, when you buy a car, you need a title. Or I think even, you know, another example that I use, and I don't know if you've ever bought from like StockX or the Real Real or something, you get, you get a, you know, somebody sends in their luxury or, you know, like hype item or like clothing piece, sneaker, bag, whatever. And StockX or the Real Real will inspect it. And when they send it to the purchaser, for StockX, it comes with that little green medallion. You know, for the Real Real, it comes in like with their confirmation, their like certificate. Essentially, it's the same kind of thing. Like it's the same by like the NFT is that little StockX chip or that Real Real certification. And that's just it's just a tech it's just a tech behind it. So it's it's really interesting, I think, to think about where we're already seeing this happening. In the case of where it was used to buy the apartment, how does that work? And are people getting the person that's selling this apartment? Are they getting just like a bunch of like crypto money? I mean, like, I'm so confused. Essentially, they're just they're the owner of that apartment. And that ownership is is lives forever on the blockchain. So when they want to sell it and I I mean, they certainly bought it with with Ethereum or crypto, another cryptocurrency. But they are like they used that kind of exchange and documented it on the blockchain via an NFT, which is crazy. So does it have to does it have to then follow the traditional methods of, um, you know, transactional record? for regular house purchases or can it exist because both people agreed that this was the exchange system that they were using that it only exists there like yeah we're, we're, so it's just there it's not I like it has Zillow. So. yeah i mean i i'm pretty sure that that's how it is and and it's also cool because you'll be able to see like on zillow you can look at you know price check records and you want to buy a house and you can also do the same on like like Kelly Blue Book or Carfax. If you want to buy a used car, you can look up the VIN number and it will show you like, oh, this was in an accident this time. But, you know, what if somebody didn't report something? Like what if somebody is not really like actually like being honest about, you know, a car getting into an accident? Like you don't, you, there are certain things that are happening where you don't actually know if that's the true value. But when you're selling something on the blockchain, it's an open ledger. So you can see, instead of me saying like, Sunny, I'm going to sell you like my Gucci sunglasses, I, I actually bought them for $400. So I'm giving you a good deal for 300. I could have bought them for $75 on Canal Street. And you don't know that like I could be scamming you. But if I had that, you know, if there was those were wearable goods, or that that had like a if that had an NFT behind it, and I think it gets interesting. I'm curious to see how fashion picks this up. But you know, if you were able to say like, okay, well, let me see the let me check the token address of that and see, like, no, you did not buy that for three for four hundred dollars. Like, you bought that for seventy five dollars. So that's kind of where we're holding each other accountable on the blockchain. That it's all public information. Oh my gosh, this is blowing my mind right now. So okay. it is very, it's very open record. It's very open system. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's holding people accountable. I think. Okay, so now that we have the language down, how do you anticipate this exchange system or this this way of trading goods and services to change the world? I, I keep seeing lots of social causes really tied in with um, with crypto and with this whole exchange system. So how is it going to change things? 
It's so it's such a good question. And there's so many like, you know, crypto is like this umbrella and there's so or it's a tree and there's so many branches to it. And and there's so much that we can do. But, you know, for for me, I think one of the core kind of values in um, in crypto and in the metaverse when it comes to cryptocurrency, when it comes to NFTs, is this. Um, opportunity for self-sovereignty. And what self-sovereignty is, is just it's denouncing that a system has power over you. And we're seeing that there's so many people right now that are being, you know, subjected to oppressive power systems. And, you know, in our everyday lives, like we as as activists or as like community members and participants, we are doing our part, I hope, to kind of dismantle or or denounce those power systems in like our physical human experience. But we all really already have an, a digital avatar, a digital identity. And that identity is, is in our phones. It's, you know, you and I communicating right now. It's your podcast. It's it's our social media channels. That digital identity does not have sovereignty right now because it's owned and controlled by you know, Spotify or Facebook or, you know, whatever it is. So for me, I think these like kind of core tenants in what we're experiencing out in the world in like our physical human bodies, people just haven't realized how that's actually translating and we're being subjected to that through our digital identities as well. So is this a way then for people to like, what it, the idea of like to make money off of their digital presences or to own it more. You're right. Because we are putting these, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Intangible little value bits out every day. You know, like you said, whether it's your podcast or through even how you show up on your Instagram for entertainment value, people are putting little bits of themselves into the world. So is the goal to make that monetizable or is the goal to have ownership over that as the creator of that digital avatar? Like what is the end goal and how that all ties in? I think it's every, I mean, it's, it's anything really like, that's why I'm so obsessed and like passionate about the blockchain because I think it's like this, it's, it's like an open, like sand, like sandbox and playgrounds. Like people can get in there and innovate in, in such unique ways. So yes, there is like an opportunity to monetize. And I, from the space of like working in, you know, crypto art and, and digital art and NFTs, like I'm seeing people's lives change. Like one of my best friends was a teacher an art, like an art teacher. And in literally two months, he made his entire salary just by selling NFTs. And he was like, uh, like it, it, that was his dream. Like what, was, what NFTs did he sell? Like I'm dying right now. He, How can I make? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's an artist, and he had been creating art all the time, and and he just started to like list them on OpenSea, and and honestly, like it's so funny because Clubhouse really like became this petri dish for for this community to build and that's really how how i got kind of my my moment too because 
people, you know, I'm, I'm from Vermont. I don't know if, if we touched on that, but I, I, I lived in Vermont my entire life up until three months ago when I moved to LA on April 1st. And, and I wasn't really, because I was working in the like 3d space and working at uh, basically a, a startup animation studio, my friends and peers that I grew up with, I, I didn't ever get to talk to anybody about the things that were interesting to me. So, and I think we were coming down like the, the vaccine was just starting to roll out, but people were, were finally talking to each other. Like we were using our voices to like communicate. And then one person posted something about an NFT and people started jumping in and, and building their community and identifying collectors that were also artists. So it's just this amazing, like there's just been this amazing shift and people are, I think artists are, are changing the world. Like artists are defining like this new digital future and it's going to be so beautiful. And, and I think I just to like circle back to close out, like Jonathan's story is incredible because in the same way of mine, like he thought he was in his career path and was doing what he loved. And I also felt that way when I worked at super plastic, but when you see that your life can change just by like having conversations with people about something new and, and then monetizing that, like everything changes. Like you feel mm -hmm. like your whole world's like cracked open and that's how I feel right now. And I think that's the true future. Like we can monetize. Yes. We'll be able to monetize our content, monetize our digital identities if we want, but really like we'll be able to feel safe like using the internet and and participating in technology and these softwares that were built to enhance our, our lives, but they're owned and operated right now by institutions and instead of by the people. In the blockchain world, do regular internet providers exist? Does this replace down the line any and every company that we've used to connect digitally? And if so, what is the physical infrastructure for that? Because all these companies that you're mentioning, which do obviously have monopoly over this over this industry, um, they still exist physically somewhere. They still have the infrastructure. So is, is blockchain down the line the only thing? And where does it live? How does it work? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I, I don't think it replaced. I don't necessarily think it's going to replace like we're not going to have a world where we also like engage and exist on social media. But I think we're going to find that it's just, you know, web 3.0. Like we went from mm -hmm. dial up in 001100 to like high speed internet to like 5G and just thinking about the capabilities of like how our, our lives have been improved. And, you know, it's for me, there's like this kind of more empathetic like connection to it because my mom, she um, she's the disability specialist for the state of Vermont, but she used to be the head of special education at a rural um, Vermont school system. And she actually was part of a grant program that brought iPads to her students. And I like at 16 or 17 years old and, you know, would, when I borrowed the car and would go pick her up from work, like she, I, I would watch how her students were able to like engage in these practices that I was doing regularly, like like picking on their friends or flirting with a cute girl. But they they, they were students and people who this was their, they, they didn't have any, you know, mobility skills or motor skills, like that they had disabilities. So 
they were using technology to communicate and engage with each other and build community. And like that kind of is always like, oh, I'm like emotional. I like love my mom so much. <laughs> she's, Aww. it's so cool. But like, like she's, She's amazing work. Oh, thank you. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but I think for me, like I've seen how technology like change, like it really improves people's lives. Not just me being able to like, you know, post something or, or take a picture of my friends or capture a memory or check my bank account quickly or whatever, but like really change people's lives. And now I'm seeing it again with people who are, are changing their lives because they're creating new revenue streams and, and they're, they're able to quit a job that they maybe love or maybe that they hate and, and make money doing something that they love. Here's another practical question for you. And using your friend as the example, who is an artist and who's been able to monetize some of his his original works, where what is the connection point between what he makes on the NFT side and the bank that actually pays him the real money? Is it or is he getting like crypto money? Like he is how paying, is he actually? Yeah, he's being paid in Ethereum. Like he's okay. And yeah. how does that like? I'm still new on this stuff too. So what is the does it stay in Ethereum or and, and he uses that only for transactions that are within that system or can and he can cash out and just go he back to cash it? out? There's basically like Coinbase or um, there's a couple different wallets that people use, but you can like off ramp or you can transfer mm -hmm. it to your bank account the same way. If I like Venmo you for a coffee, my Venmo like or your that money that I send you can stay in your Venmo account or and then you can use that to yeah. transact or you can transfer it back to your bank account. And the only difference is that that is, um, you know, always going to be that same amount minus fees. Like if it's six dollars for a coffee, you'll have six dollars in your account. But because um, Ethereum or Bitcoin, other cryptocurrencies are part of this like market, which just to preface, like this is not my area of expertise, but they are, you know, they are rising and falling all the time. So you might, you know, what what is worth like $3,000 today could be worth $2,200 tomorrow in, mm -hmm. in US dollars or fiat. Do you feel there will be a world down the line where the dollar, the pound, the whatever, you know, um, form of money is is non-existent and the entire world is on this democratized platform of crypto? Or will, will we will the old world have to learn to play with the new world and keep this sort of exchange system that you just described where they're they're related but still discrete? I don't know. I feel like it depends on on people and it depends on the federal reserve like it's going to depend on what how our expectations change and you know what we like we kind of all just there was a time where people were using gold and gold and silver and like these kind of precious i don't know was that a gem whatever metals, but yeah. metals and that was the value and then somebody was like actually we're going to use paper and paper is going to represent that. And I imagine there were some people at that time that were like, no, that's crazy. Like, we're not going to do that. And then from there, the banks were like, no, we're actually going to give you like a little plot. Like, we're going to give you a book with a piece of paper that you can write your own amount of dollars on. And we were like, OK. And then cards. And now this, like, it's kind of like collective consciousness and adoption. But for the first time, we're seeing Crypto, cryptocurrency is not 
like kind of we're not being told that we have to adopt this by like a, a government or a privatized system. We just get to choose. And I think like retailers are going to get to choose and people are going to get to choose. And eventually, I mean, why would you use something like like a U.S. dollar that's where I'm like, who's doing like, how do what is how does this even work for me? Like, I, I get it because that's how I grew up. But I think for me, it's easier to, to think about how, yeah, I want to use a currency that like, I know that that's my money. I know that I have access to it. I know I can do whatever I want with it because it exists like on this, this decentralized network. I don't know, but maybe like, let's put this in a time capsule and find out. <laughs> I mean, I, I just feel like there is like, if I were on Wall Street or if I were a banker, I'd be scared right now because what I'm seeing from a complete outsider's perspective is even though I'm not familiar with this world, there's just the pop culture is, is on its side. The, the common conversation is on the side of technology and what can we do different and how can we, like you said, uh, make this more democratized or decentralized. And I would be a little bit scared because I feel like once the wheels on the train start turning, there's really no going back. I mean, well, we, I don't know. That's just, and when you also have the benefit of, um, you know, you have the hype of all of these, like artists and you know you're talking about all these people who are using that and validating that system now it just seems like we can't go back yeah totally and i think you know my answer to that is like these systems should be scared like they've been you know oppressive and they have have marginalized people and they have they have continued to like sustain these power systems that are built on like keeping people down and like, that's a problem. And I think, you know, that really the root of that for me, like my kind of passion behind it is that I, I was a women's and gender studies major, but I, I have seen like, and I've studied how patriarchal power systems were built and they are built to be sustained. And that, that sustainability relies directly on the continued oppression of, you know, people of color, of women, of people that are not from that, that group that built the system. And to me, that is like, yeah, you should be scared. Like we're, look at what's been, look at what has been happening in our world. It's like over and over again, like we're seeing that there's not, people are not holding these systems accountable. And finally, like we're turning a corner for, you know, like policing institutions and we're, we're gonna soon turn a corner for financial institutions. Like there's so, there's so much opportunity to become like, I keep saying like, we're everybody's gonna get crypto rich, like let's do it. Like there's so much opportunity there. And, you know, wealth distribution has been so, um, unfair, just so unfair. Yeah. yeah, what I'm hearing you saying is is when people decide collectively that something has value or that something has worth, that's that's the whole idea behind this. To, to someone, that, and tell me if I'm wrong here, to someone learning what the system is about or ha struggling to understand what value in the real world crypto has or how blockchain impacts their lives, it's exactly what you said. It's when a group of people decide, okay, you know what, we're going to, the majority of us are going to decide this has worth and we're going to interact in this world and exchange in this way. And we're going to tell each other it has worth and we're going to see real life benefit from using this as a currency. It, that's what makes it have value, which is just the, the yeah. simplest, but the most complex thing for people to grasp. But am I, am I getting that right? Yes. And you, that you just defined what non-fungible really means. 
Like that is exactly what it is. Like you and I are going to like lock arms and say like, this is valuable to us. And this is how we're going to go out and tell our friends that this is valuable to us. And then they're going to tell their friends like, and when we all get to determine what that value is, then like we have the power, like that's non-fungible. Like we're not going to accept that, you know, a system is going to say, here's a piece of paper, this equals a hundred dollars. That's the value of it. Like mm -hmm. we're saying like, no, I would never, I'm <laughs> not crypto rich yet. <laughs> We're not going to rip the dollar bills yet. We're just going to push them inside. Sorry, don't, please don't come for me. I'm like looking through my windows. <laughs> but I think, you know, there is there is a moment and like I keep having to like really remind myself and it's really humbling and sometimes it's it can be disheartening. But like conversations like this mean so much to me because like I'm early, you're early. Like you're early having this conversation. Like you're, you're anybody that listens to this is gonna be early. Like we're, it's crazy for me because I'm in a like, you know, a lot of people say, all right, NFT's a bubble or NFT's a bubble. Well, they're not a bubble, but there's certainly movement that's happening inside what feels like an echo chamber because I'm attaching myself and gravitating toward people that I can have these conversations with. And what I need to be doing more of, which I'm so glad we're doing this right now, is have conversations with people that are not already talking about it, just to plant the seed. It doesn't have to be today or tomorrow, but like there will, I do believe in this. And really I do believe that it comes down to like protecting and uh, protecting our digital identities and protecting our future, our digital future and having the same amount of self-sovereignty that we have to act with free will in our human bodies too. Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense and that resonates. Yeah, you really have to tell people why they need to understand it because frankly, were I not approached with the opportunity to interview you, I would have never gone down this rabbit hole. Because to me, and people separate themselves from what they're uncomfortable with because they think I'm not a money person, I'm not a tech person, I don't know what I'm not. But what you're doing in the way you're explaining this, and, and I, again, correct me if I'm wrong, is just explaining how this has real world impact yeah. due to our attention on it alone and our participation in it. It's like you feed it, you feed the monster and it, it gets stronger and, and more real. I mean, it's like having to convince people, this may be a clumsy analogy, and I'm certain there are gonna be a lot of history buffs who completely reject this, but you know, when the American Revolution, like convincing people they need freedom from a monarchy or convincing people they need a democratized system. Like we didn't get to where we are because we were like, you know what, I agree with this old system. Um, it's a different type of analogy, but you know, it's the same kind of thing where it word spreads among people and it's person to person and it's interactions and it's tying it with social causes and telling people why they should care, I feel like, which made me understand and care more. Totally. You know, there is something that clicked for me. Um, I was thinking about how somebody was like, well, you know, why can't I just right click and save? Like, I don't need to like buy this digital art piece. And it's like, okay, true. But I remember a time where like people started to have blackberries and it was kind of like this, this like hot subject where you're like, Oh my God, you have a blackberry. Like, and, and that was the conversation between me and my friends. But I remember the conversations like among like my parents and their friends were like, why do I need a computer in my pocket? Like <laughs> I just got a computer at home. Like, why would I, like, why do I have to do that? And then, you know, this is like, 
Apple did something really interesting where they kind of rebranded and reintroduced like the iPhone, the smartphone in general as this like high fashion accessory. Mm -hmm. And then it became like this, this collective kind of like adoption and it became a piece of pop culture, which is why, and I feel that there's so many, there's so many parallels. Like it gives me chills that, you know, people's, people's argument of like, well, why can't I just right click and save or why would I want to have a piece of artwork like on my phone or on my computer? Well, you know, let's just see like, but look at how people in pop culture are, you know, adopting this technology to release content, to release their media, to release their art. Like, it's really, it's no surprise that the kind of entertainment industry is picking up on this first. And like, we're seeing a lot of musicians get into it and and digital artists. But I really feel like there's going to be this like pragmatic shift once people see like, a way this is presented to them in a way that is really easy to digest the same way that you know seeing an iphone marketed to you as like something that was like sleek and cool and hot and like an accessory made it easier to be like okay maybe i do want a computer in my pocket and now exactly make it sexy without it Mm -hmm. yeah tell me why i need it and make it a little sexy too so say you're a person in the content creation space whether you're an artist or a musician you're creating things that are intangible how would someone who's in that space begin to tap into the power of nfts oh there's so many ways i think you know you can like i envision a, a world where you know there's these these platforms like patreon or like even only fans and like i'm a like very serious feminist and like i feel that a lot of people who are who are content creators and whatever that you know whatever their messaging is or whatever their branding is like your content is still owned by that platform and you can there are spaces and and there are marketplaces right now that are saying like no 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 like you can own your content like put it up put it up like set it somewhere on the blockchain like get mint it create an nft and we're just going to take a percent because they're just like doing the transaction or whatever but that's your content like you truly own that piece of your identity and i feel like that's where the benefit is so people can still like post their artwork and they they kind of have less of a fear because other people who get it are going to go to their you know open sea or to wearable or these different I'm, I'm dropping names of like marketplaces where people are buying and ex- and selling digital goods and and crypto art but i think just as a creator it's really understanding that like you're not just giving a cut to these platforms but you're actually giving them ownership and control over your your identity your digital identity your career essentially so if it were on the blockchain, it belongs just to you. Whereas if we continue to go through these OnlyFans things. But here's my other question. For distribution purposes, how does that work? Because you do, they do own it, but they're the centralized place for all of your stuff to go out. So you just say using the OnlyFans example, someone who's creating content, whether it's like video or imagery, like if it is on blockchain, how does that work? Like, do you have to set up your own like distribution system? And how, how do you do that? No, I mean, you can still share it. Like anybody can still see what the NFT is or, you know, there's also for something, somebody like, let's take, let's talk about like, you know, digital sex workers, people that are creating like not safe for work content. Like there is an opportunity where in a utility behind NFTs where you can create what's called a generative 
token. So it can be sold as like, you know, it's just kind of a, a, a black box, say. And the person who buys it can then unlock that content. And once they, but they can unlock it if they don't own it and they can see the actual, like the actual photograph or whatever behind it. Um, or you can have something that changes. So like I have a vision at some point where I think a musician is going to come out and say, you know, here is an NFT. This NFT is going to evolve. And every time I, you know, create a new song, it's going to be like it's going to become part of this NFT. So the owner of that is going to hear that song before anybody else in the world. I mean, now they can go and leak it on SoundCloud or YouTube or whatever, but like ultimately, so what? It's just marketing for that musician who's going to release right. it. Anyways. That's like my thing. I'm like, leak it. But there's so much, po there's so much possibility in what you can create just like using the code using the metadata behind an NFT. And so it's almost like an open subscription. You, as the consumer, buy that black box or buy the subscription or whatever, and you're just yeah. continually getting fed whatever's new from the artist or whatever. And and the artist makes 100% of whatever's being. Yeah. And, and also then if, so for, for you, for example, like say you wanted to use an NFT as like a different distribution for like, uh, content or like a like a blog almost or a website mm -hmm. where you know we are seeing a lot of I'm seeing a lot of creators who are utilizing their like close friends story and they're kind of selling these subscriptions to their close friends story to add people to it. But imagine you use an NFT like that. So when people buy that NFT, they go to a uh, website where they get to input their email or something and you're gonna send them um, unique content or you're going to send them content before anybody else or you're going to send them special offers or opportunities to participate in different community engagements that you have or go to speaking events like there's a lot that can be done as far as like community building for that but if i buy that nft and that subscription and then i'm like okay like i don't I, i'm like i love you sunny but i'm too like i'm too busy i'm gonna sell this or your brand like becomes even more explosive i can sell that and then you mm -hmm. still get a secondary market sale so the difference is whereas now you're just buying the subscription say from patreon and you can either cancel if you you can then sell it as the buyer at some point and make and, money yeah it's, it's like and a continuous are, chain of transactions yes, potentially. you as the creator can set, which I don't think this is possible on OnlyFans or Patreon, but you can actually drive your own value of your brand by saying, I'm only going to sell 10 of these. And yeah, yeah, that's interesting to me. And talking with a friend about this, he mentioned that and how, like, especially with artists, that exclusivity has that appeal sometimes. Like, I'm only one of 10 people who heard this song first yeah. or whatever. So yeah. that's, but do you get paid in all crypto? Like, right? It would be, I mean, you would initially be paid in. Which is good these days. Yeah, yeah. And you can, like a lot of people are kind of keeping their their Ethereum that they're making in their mm -hmm. digital wallets because we're seeing so much growth and so much you know, change. I mean, there's like, I'm sure you've seen like the memes of like, buy the dip, buy the dip. Like, it's good to, oh my God, this is not financial advice. <laughs> but <people laughs> no, okay. are, yeah. I'm open to it. You're smarter than me. <laughs> but I think like, you know, a lot of people, there are these like cultural moments, like look at what happened with um, GameStop. And like that was being in Wall Street bets. Like that was 
being pumped by like a community and kind of like this secret message. Like imagine if, you know, Wall Street bets the Reddit page actually had sold membership to their um, kind of their their community as an NFT. And then people who owned that were like, if you want to know what we're talking about, like what's pumping right now, like I'm going to sell my my membership for five times as much. I mean, it is just like, as soon as you start talking, it's just like a, a house of mirrors. It's just like everything opens up in ways. I personally feel like on our side of things, like content creation, artists, people, like I keep saying, you deal in the intangibles. I just feel like this is an explosive opportunity okay. to, to, to expand. So, oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. we're gonna do a quick lightning round before we go because I wanna make sure, I'm like Professor Sunny today, that people are walking away with just a final understanding. So I'm gonna throw these terms out there one more time, just a quick explanation of what they are. And then I wanna end Carson with some good pointers from you on websites to go to read more about this. If you wanna start on some of those uh, marketplaces and like browsing what's out there, putting something up. So here we go, lightning round. NFT, once again, quick description. An NFT is just a certificate of ownership or sale for a digital asset. Digital asset. Okay. And the blockchain? Blockchain is basically just a system, a data system of computers. <laughs> okay. And crypto? Crypto. Oh God, that's a big one. Crypto is, I guess, different things, but really anything that's happening via um, internet and blockchain. Um, cryptocurrency in particular is that's, that's cryptocurrency on that. is, a, is a decentralized finance that you that is exchanged and sold through the blockchain. Okay, and what what other like hot button terms am I missing here? I feel like people want to know what all of those things are, but what else are you missing? Um, metaverse is probably something that I said a lot, and the metaverse is you know the most technical term, just a three D environment where people are gathering. But this my like empathetic definition of it is that it's it's a world, it's a future that that is digitally driven and that promotes kind of community and social connection and understanding and growth. I just feel like one day we're going to be completely melded, like head to phone, head to de like everything you're talking about, interacting in this space, um, finding value in artwork and connection digitally. Yeah. I mean, it all is trending toward us physically being apart, but digitally being together. I don't know. It's a little scary for me. It but is scary. It is scary. But there is this, you know, I've as the world has been opening up, I've gotten the opportunity to like have some of these like NFT meetups. And it's so like, it's so meaningful. And it's like the relationships were built like through this like bonding experience and through this education and this technology, but we're still going out into the world and now we're like hugging and we're becoming best friends and we're like having other conversations. Like we're talking about our love lives and we're talking about our family history and our trauma and like all of the stuff that you do with your friends. But you know, it really reminds me of like, I, I think like the, the key takeaway here and like one thing that I, I want people to understand is that, you know, we're already using this kind of this theory and this technology. Like what we need to just do is just like kick it up a notch. And, you know, if, if people are, are listening or people are watching that have kids that that play or they themselves like play Minecraft or Fortnite or Roblox, mm -hmm. like your like that's an expression that's like an engagement and participation of 
the metaverse and those goods like that the 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 things that they are building there the things that they are you know kind of exchanging and buying in game like those themselves are essentially just like a that's a digital asset that's a digital good and what an nft is is just a it, it will allow them to then resell that or to take it you know across platforms or across metaverses like we're already doing it <laughs> every parent it just clicked for every parent they're like roblox yes and my son is like i gotta buy this bow and arrow in the whatever in the hunting game i'm like whatever dude here's 10 bucks yeah and but, don't okay. take them out of that because like i think the the future of the internet is being built by game developers and it's really like they're 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 i think a couple of years ago you know they're really before like the um, kind of the TikTok gamer houses kind of explosion where people actually started making gaming their careers. Mm -hmm. um, there was this stigma and this fear that like what we just talked about, like, oh my gosh, like, yep. they're, they're only inside. They're not, they need to go out into the world. Like I even like roasted my little sister at the beginning of this recording, but like really truly like those, that's how community got, like, like uh, that's how they were building community. And mm -hmm. some of those kids whose parents feared that they were, you know, missing out on life opportunities and skills are the top earners and competitive esports, you know, professionals in the world right now and the top earners. Like we need to be okay with and like let go of this like belief that if we're interacting digitally, whether that's through gaming, whether that's through text, Snapchat, through Zoom, that we are gonna miss opportunities to um, actually live our, our human experience because we're not, we're actually going to create more opportunities. I truly believe that. It almost enhances the existence in, in the physical sphere to have that digital connection too. I think anyone with, you know, any social media can, can okay. sign off on that for sure. If it's used the right way, it can enhance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay. Final, final question. Tell us Carson, some good places to go if we're interested in dipping our toes in, in this world. <sighs> Well, I think there's definitely so there's a couple websites um, that are really building uh, that are the like kind of leading marketplaces for this, and they have really awesome like blog posts. So one is OpenSea.io, SEA, um, OpenSEA. Yep, yeah, and okay. I can send to you, and you can include some links in the description. But also Foundation, um, they Foundation I think .io. They have a lot of really awesome blog posts too. Foundation .app, uh, they have a lot of great blog posts as well. You know, I try to. I've been trying to create some more of my own content around this, but. Um, obviously it's really hard between like, also I'm still kind of living my human experience on social media, but, um, I'm happy to point people in any direction too. My DMS are always open on. on yes. Anything. Tell us where to find you. Carson daily on all platforms. D A I L Y. Yeah. And it's K A R S E N. Yes. Daily. Okay. Yes. You are a light. You are a wealth of information, Carson. I'm really grateful for you for bringing this down to earth for us. Oh, I'm so grateful for you to just give me this platform and opportunity. And, and I really like you're like, you're leading by like just having me here because it's so, it's so important and I'm so passionate about it. So thank you.
I'm sure. I hope to speak with you again. And when I start to like get my little um, world up running online, my little empire, my crypto yes. empire. Okay. My money. I don't using the word right I'm here. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of We Gotta Talk. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and follow along on Instagram at Sunny Abatta, S-O-N-N-I-A-B-A-T-T-A. All of the latest blog posts are at wegotatalk.com slash blog. 